Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Uh, We're still on the series looking at the vision and values. And the vision and value that we're looking at today is a church that is committed to excellent relationships with other Christians and churches in its community. And I'm going to begin by looking at the biblical context of this, of working with other Christians and other churches. Then take a look at what's happening across Doncaster as our community. And then finish with some putting it into practice ideas. I'm mainly using the message for Bible references because sometimes I find you read something and it, it's, sort of, it's the same. It doesn't say something new. And sometimes when you read in here, you suddenly think, oh yeah, that's what it means. Or yes, I've not seen that before. So references today are from the message if you're trying to follow in your own Bible. And looking at John 17, and just three, four verses, 20 to 23. And Jesus is praying for his disciples here in John 17. Quite a long prayer, but here, he says he's praying not just for the disciples that are there in front of him, but also for all those who will believe in me. So that's us, those of us who believe in Christ. He's prayed for us. And he's praying for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for them all to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So that they, that's us, might be one heart and mind With us, that's the Godhead. Then the world might believe that you in fact sent me. The same glory you gave me, I give them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them, and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness. And give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Some quite extraordinary words come from the lips of Jesus. But actually, think of those words that he said. He prayed that they might be one heart and mind with us. Not just with each other but with God's heart and God's mind. Uh, if you read it in the ESV, it says becoming perfectly one. Not just one, but perfectly one. What does that mean? It's a oneness of a body that at the moment is separated. It's a oneness of a body of all those who belong to God. And Jesus isn't praying that someday all denominations will get together and we'll have one sort of big ecumenical hash. He's not praying that we'll have a one world church, although some people believe that. He's just simply praying that all believers 
We share common eternal life, that life that God breathed into us, as we heard from Sue. That all believers will be united in their separation from all that is ungodly and worldly. That will be believers who express love and power and obedience spiritually. That we all have an affection for God that burns from the same flame. That all our aims are directed to the same end, to glorify God and to bring his kingdom about. That we're all pursuing that harmony of love and holiness. He's praying, in a nutshell, that his disciples will be one in love, one in will, one in deed, and one in holiness. I don't know about you, but one big damaging thing that's often thrown up in my face when I'm trying to share my faith with others is the testimony that comes from a divided church. There isn't a unified holiness among Christians. In fact, there's quite a lot of battles between churches sometimes over what they believe and what their faith is. This isn't a new thing, denominationalism. John Wesley actually said this. He was referring to Methodism. He said, Would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world were forgot and that the very name Methodist might never be mentioned more but buried in eternal oblivion. And Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest Baptist preachers who ever lived, said, I look forward with pleasure to the day when there will not be a Baptist living. I hope that the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name live forever. Unity is the cry of the New Testament. Paul said to the Philippians, I want you to be of one mind, of one love, of one accord. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Unity of the body, every member caring for every other member, building each other up. That's what we see in this church. That's what we put into practice. But it's not just here in this church. It applies to other Christians. In the first centuries of the early church, pagans weren't drawn to the church because of the worship or eloquent preaching or uplifting music. It wasn't even the theology that was preached that attracted them. It was the way that Christians lived together. One of the early church fathers said, Look, they say, and he's talking about the pagans here when they say they say, Look, they say, how they love one another and how they are ready to die for one another. And actually John, in John's Gospel, he writes the words that Jesus said, let me give you a new command. Love one another. 
In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have one for another. Now he's not saying here that we need to love one another if we all agree on all points, theological and political and social. He's saying love one another, full stop. You might think, well, it was easy back in the New Testament days because they all agreed and theology was all the same and there hadn't been all these differences that come up on ways of interpreting the Bible. Actually, if you read your New Testament, you'll see that they often disagree with one another. But they were still brothers and sisters sharing everything together. It's relationships that are important. Not the building where we meet. Not the way we worship. In Matthew 5, Jesus makes it very clear about relationships that we should not bring a gift, not bring an offering, unless we reconcile with our brother or sister. It's that important that we don't approach and bring our gifts until we are back in relationship with each other. I would say probably the ultimate test of faith is showing love towards someone else when you disagree with them. It's very easy when someone agrees with you to love them. It takes faith and discipline and spiritual maturity to actually love someone who doesn't agree with you. It's hard enough just within this church trying to live out what I've just spoken about. But we need to do it in our relationships with other Christians, other churches across Doncaster and anywhere that we actually meet. We don't want to be insular. If we reflect this heart of love that Jesus talks about to our brothers and sisters, think of the staggering repercussions to those who are not in the church. To see love between churches, to see Christians working together. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other. Earlier in John 17, before the few verses that I read, Jesus prays that they may be one as we are one. We are all one because we are all in Christ. The basis of unity with other Christians isn't a denominational affiliation. It's our position in Christ. Galatians reads, all one in Christ Jesus. United with him and through that united with everybody else. And actually, spirit-filled Christians do enjoy an amazing degree of unity with each other across denominational distinctions. It does exist, that spiritual unity, when you meet with other believers, spirit-filled believers from other churches, you will find there is that unity, despite some differences in opinions. 
don't forget that Christ told the disciples, you need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. And then it will be one flock, one shepherd. (coughs) The one shepherd is Christ himself. It's not an earthly vicar or pastor. It's not the Pope. It's not the Archbishop of Canterbury. Christ himself is our shepherd. And the one flock will cover so many different people, it will be unbelievable when we get to that throne in heaven and see the hordes of believers of different nationalities, different beliefs, different colours, different ages. I think Bob spoke last week about the, the wide variety of people who believe who are coming into the kingdom. The message describes our unity with other Christians of what actually it will be like in Ephesians 4. It says, when we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without fully alive like Christ that's us perfected in unity that's what Christ is praying for in John 17 that we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other fully developed within and without and fully alive like Christ I praise God earlier that he's coming back. Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for his bride. He's not coming back for a polygamous relationship as a bridegroom of many differing denominations. He's coming back for his bride, the church. Christ's true church, which isn't confined to a single congregation or a denomination or any earthly organisation. The church is composed of all true believers in Christ. Now I've spoken quite a lot about unity. But unity and diversity are not actually diametrically opposed to each other. I mean, (laughs) look at us lot for starters. Quite a diverse lot. (laughs) But I think we're quite united. We have our differences. But that's probably good because it helps us to grow. The same goes for our relationship with other churches. There is quite a lot of diversity of ways of worship, styles of worship, styles of prayer, styles of preaching. However, despite all that diversity, we are still all one in Christ Jesus, the one church, the one true church. A couple of rather important things when we're looking at unity with other churches, working with other Christians. We can't ignore the issue of truth altogether and settle for a superficial unity. 
we need to be aware of who we're fellowshipping with. Because there are people who deny truths that are essential to the gospel. In the second letter of John, he writes, There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, a flesh-and-blood human being. Give them their true title, deceiver. And be very careful around them so that you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently in together. I want you to get every reward that's coming to you. Anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of God, on the teaching of Christ, has walked out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching, don't invite him in and give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. We also shouldn't work and embrace people work with and embrace people who affirm a gospel that's different to scripture. A gospel that scripture condemns. You can read more about that in Galatians 1. The gospel and all the truths essential to it, such as the doctrine of justification by faith and not by works, the authority of scripture, these are non-negotiables. And unity on these matters really is a prerequisite to unity in any other area. But there's nothing inherently sinful in having denominational convictions on secondary issues. Different worship styles, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, Arminianism, Calvinism. All of these are differences, but they're superficial differences that don't pertain to our saving faith. However, many Christians do use these non-essential differences as justification for division. But I think that means that the love of God in our hearts for other Christians then is being sacrificed to our pride. I'm right, you're wrong. We should be saying, it's certainly possible that you are correct. It's certainly possible that I am mistaken. However, let's work together. Let's work together to glorify God and let's work together to expand God's kingdom despite our differences in beliefs. That's possibly a little bit too simplistic but when you come down to it in a nutshell that's what we need to be looking at. Denominations in and of themselves aren't that obstacle to true Christian unity that they could be. But if these differences get magnified, then you end up with sectarianism. And we've all seen the results of that in Northern Ireland many years ago and still raising its head there now. And that's an attitude that Paul actually condemned in Corinth. 
when he had some of the believers who were saying, oh, I'm loyal to Paul, or I'm loyal to Apollos or Cephas. Those of us with broad denominational associations, and I think that's quite a few of us in this church, because we've come from different backgrounds, we know that you can have close friendships in Christ across denominational boundaries. And there is room for us to disagree within those bonds that unity brings. Uh, In Acts 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas actually had quite a sharp disagreement and ended up splitting and going their own separate ways. But actually, that brought the gospel to a wider audience than if they'd stayed together. It's unlikely that you could put any two Christians together uh, who would agree completely on the meaning of every passage of scripture. It doesn't mean we have to agree up front on every point of truth to be united with others. We need to be reminded that there's neither a Catholic, nor a Baptist, nor a Methodist on the throne of God. And I'm sure when we stand before that throne, we're going to have quite a lot of our theologies corrected and put right. What the world saw the church uniting, in spite of its differences? What if the world started to see how Christians love not only their church members, but members of other churches? What do you think the world would say if the church's bickering stopped? It would be a tremendous witness for Christ. Tremendous assault on the enemy. And God would use it mightily to bring others to himself through his grace. Having dealt with that, and I think quite a few of us are actually working with others in other churches, what's happening now across Doncaster? We looked at the value of the church that is committed to excellent relationships with other Christians and churches in its community. I would say the one joint initiative that many, many people are aware of is Mission Doncaster. Um, It's been around in one form or another for many years, since 1987 actually. Um, It's held town-wide events at venues such as the Racecourse and the Dome. Um, Most people now, I think, know about it through city celebrations and through city prayer as their main activities that you know of. City prayer is a town-wide prayer strategy. It's actually held in the months when there isn't a city celebration being held. It's on the first Wednesday of every month at Christchurch. I know Corinne likes to try and get there. It does clash with one of our small groups, but it is actually worth making the time to attend and pray for town-wide issues as they occur. Gives you a wider perspective of what's actually happening across Doncaster. If you can't make the meeting, they do publish a daily prayer bulletin on their website. So each day you can join in prayer with other Christians across Doncaster, praying for our town. City celebrations takes place once a quarter. I think the Salvation Army is getting a little bit small for it now. There's so many people who turn up. 
It's a really powerful expression of visible unity. I mean, our church has also actually been involved quite a bit in the prayer ministry, and I believe you, you have quite a lot, Owen, to do with actually running the thing. So there's another example of people working across denominational borders. Also under Mission Doncaster, there's City Hope. Uh, that's a town-wide outreach to work across the denominations. Um, at the moment, they're looking at street angels and street pastors. Um, it's got a slightly unwieldy title. It's the Faith-Based Initiative Working Within the Nighttime Economy. Basically, they're looking at being able to introduce uh, street angels, street pastors, to go amongst those who are out uh, celebrating on Friday nights, Saturday nights, to come alongside them to make sure they're safe, and hopefully to share the word of God as well. Also on the Mission Doncaster is the One Heart, One Voice Network. That's a network of Christian ministers and leaders across the town. Described by Owen, <laughs> oh, I'm going to quote your words, as an organic group of church leaders who as peers see the value of meeting and working together and share sufficiently similar vision and values to enable us to effectively do so. One Heart, One Voice is looking beyond the possibilities and the boundaries that individual churches set and it understands that the mission of the church is a joint responsibility that we share with others. I know the leaders meet, I think, about once a quarter? Once a week. Well, uh, yeah, I've got the, yeah, once a week for prayer, but they meet um, once, a, once a quarter or so. Once a quarter to look at wider initiatives and to see where the work of God is going across the town. Also, there's clay which for those of you who don't know what CLAY is, it stands for Changing Lives Among Youth. And this is a youth event that's run, um, supporting young Christian people across the town, but also giving a venue and an opportunity for them to bring along their non-Christian friends. Other town-wide initiatives, Team Challenge, Doncaster. We all know about Team Challenge from Chris, with him getting the job there. And I think Sue's been involved with the Teen Challenge, haven't you? Yeah. These are just some of the more well-known examples of what's happening town-wide across Doncaster. There's probably many more little local events of churches working together that get a lot less press. We've actually got together with people from Checker Road Baptist Church. They've enabled us to hold several social occasions using their building. Uh, we've used Wheatley Park Baptist Church and their venue for baptisms. Um, those of you who have been here a little longer may remember that a team from here went up to Ripon after a minister from one of the Anglican churches in Dongster moved up there and asked them to come and talk about the Holy Spirit and pray with his new congregation. Morwenna and a team of ladies from Bedford led across Doncaster Ladies' Day other members from, I think, from mainly from the Baptist Church came and enjoyed a time of fellowship with us all. And obviously we're looking at other venues in relation to our worship service, uh, possibly in relationship with other denominations. 
So there's quite a bit happening across Doncaster. It is working. It's perhaps not that visible to the unchurched at the moment, but we need to keep working, looking for the unity that is already there, joining where we can to help spread the kingdom of God in this town. So how can we put it into practice when we are working with other Christians? There's a whole chapter in here. Romans 14. It talks about getting along together. It talks about accepting Christians of differing opinions. It talks about not judging them. I'm going to read most of the chapter, but from the message. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticising what the other ate or didn't eat? Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, you keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, Eat vegetables to the glory of God. And thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to. All the way from life to death and everything in between. Not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death. And free us from the petty petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticise a brother? And where does it leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly. Or worse. Eventually we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. And your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. 
forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should be not to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behaviour and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others and other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. The whole point of that chapter in Romans is that we need to be united, not bickering. We need to move beyond any denominational barriers, beyond what separates us, into the common ground of what unites us, Jesus. I've got some questions here for you you might like to think about. Ask yourself... What's most important in your life? Ask yourself if it's your relationship with God. If it is, and it should be, should you not also be seeking what God wants? Are we seeking to love one another as Christ commanded us? What can we do to bring unity wherever possible? Are we in one heart and one mind with our God? If not, it's we who need to change. God never changes. We need to help other believers to lift each other up, to edify other believers. And be united in Christ so that we can be in one accord. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Matthew Henry wrote in a commentary, Our Lord especially prayed that all believers might be as one body, under one head, animated by one soul, 
by their union with Christ and the Father in him, <coughs> through the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The more they dispute about lesser things, the more they throw doubts on Christianity. Let us endeavour to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, praying that all believers may be more and more united in one mind and one judgment. Thus shall we convince the world of the truth and excellence of our religion and find more sweet communion with God and his saints. All believers as one body under one head animated by one soul that is the Holy Spirit. Let me finish with a prayer from Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.